Amen. You can, you can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Luke. I am a pastor here at the Capitol Church. want to again extend a welcome to you. If you've been coming around here for a little bit, I hope you anticipate me starting off by talking about Ohio State football. I hope that's felt like a rhythm to you. And I feel like I repeat myself almost every single Sunday that Ohio State played and they buried yet another team uh, this week called Purdue. Uh, no problem, ranked team. It's not a problem for Ohio State. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Garrett Wilson, but uh, you should be. You should be. If you're an Ohio State fan, you should be. Um, the Buckeyes are rolling, and, and we're excited to be just across the street from such a, an amazing place. If you're a college student, we have as a part of our church, so we launched this church end of August. Um, alongside of us, we also launched our college ministry called the Salt Company. So if you're a student um, at Ohio State or even Columbus State, we have something called the Salt Company. That is our college ministry as a part of this church. would love for you to be a part of that. Um, I, I don't know if you walk in here, um, like what your TV habits are, like Netflix, if that feels like something you're ashamed about your Netflix viewing, or if your Netflix viewing is like in a healthy place or you don't even have Netflix. But I myself uh, watched this show called The Great British Baking Show. Um, I am not personally a baker. I don't even cook things well at all. But I got captured season one of The Great British Baking Show, which it's been out long enough, I feel like I can say this. A little bit of a spoiler, Nancy is an absolute beast. If you turn it on, season one, Nancy just absolutely crushes things. But there's a part, there's about six contestants left at this point in season one, and they have to make something called a Swedish princess cake. Um, it, it has several different layers. They have to bake, they've got a pipe some cream, you can tell, I'm, I'm kind of into it. Um, they pipe some cream and it, and it builds these different layers and then they lay this marzipan over the top of this cake creating this green dome and then they're supposed to decorate the top and, and all of those types of things. So I'm, I'm watching this particular episode and I'm watching them make specifically the marzipan which you know, 20 minutes ago when the episode started, no clue what even marzipan was um, but Kate is, is a top six contestant, but in my estimation, her marzipan is way too thick. And so I turned to Shaylin, uh, who's my wife, and I, and I almost in disgust say like, Kate's marzipan is way too thick. And in that moment, I had this like little self-reflection and I was like, what am I talking about? Like I don't bake anything, let alone the complications of this particular thing, but I feel comfortable, even excited, to sit on my couch. This is in, in England, and like, first of all, this show, there's such nice people, it, it seems, in England, because the competitive spirit is there, yet everybody is so kind to one another. And even Kate, she's so kind, she's trying her best, and I'm just sitting at home, throwing stones at Kate about her marzipan, and I just thought to myself, like, who am I to sit here and throw stones? I don't make anything, let alone something like that. I don't even know what marzipan is. And I'm criticizing hers. And I felt something in me go, I, I don't know if this is right. It feels a little bit wrong. And this is the very thing Jesus is gonna address in me and in you here this morning. Now, to catch you up a little bit about where we've been, uh, we've been in a series in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, this is a great time to grab it. 
Turn to Matthew. If you have a device, feel free to pull that out and, and get to Matthew. You're gonna find Matthew in the back third of your Bible. Um, you have a table of contents page in the front. If you have a, a paper Bible, you should have a table of contents in the front. That could be incredibly helpful to you finding the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible and want a Bible, we have one on your way out. You can just go ahead and grab one on your way out. We would love for you to have one of those. Uh, we've been in the book of Matthew now for several weeks. Um, just to catch you up a little bit, uh, Jesus has already started to do some wild things. He's done some healing. He's taught with a level of authority that is compelling to a group of people. And so he finds himself surrounded by thousands that are actually even trying to grab a hold of them because they're convinced if they could even touch Jesus or grab a hold of his clothes, a lifetime of pain, suffering, and oppression could be gone in a second. And so in this wild scene of thousands trying to get to Jesus, he calms everybody down, he sits them down, he starts to do some teaching, which has traditionally been called the Sermon on the Mount. That you can find in your Bibles, Matthew 5 to 7. We have for several weeks walked through different parts of Jesus's sermon here to these thousands of people. Uh, I don't know if this is exciting for you, it is a little bit for me. This is the last a part of Jesus's teaching that we're going to address. So starting next week, we're gonna be out of this particular section. We'll still be in Matthew, but we will continue forward in, this, in the storyline of Jesus. Now, uh, we will eventually, in December, we're gonna call pause on our series here in Matthew. Uh, we're gonna do a three-week Christmas series. I'll say this on the front end, December 26th. Uh, is a Sunday. We will not be having church that Sunday. And then in January, uh, we're starting a series called Holy Habits, which I'm looking forward to. January, usually for me and likely for you, is a time, just a natural rhythm of the calendar where you start to evaluate, like, who am I? Who do I want to become? What are some adjustments I want to make in my life in the coming year? Uh, some people call those resolutions. All of those things are good things. And so we're starting a series called Holy Habits, uh, because we think there are some things we can do as broken people uh, that will allow us to be ushered forward into a flourishing life and becoming like Jesus. And so that's where we're going in January. And then in February, we're hopping back into Matthew for likely the rest of that semester. Um, Jesus, again here this morning, like he does often at this part of his life, is going to wave people into a better life. He will say, okay, here's what's true about you, but let me pull you and wave you into the flourishing life that's found in being like him. We have mentioned a few times from stage here about what we think about commands in the Bible. Here's how I grew up. I grew up feeling like everything the Bible called me to was a greater level of a bummer lifestyle. Like Christianity for me was all of the things I wanted to do but wasn't allowed to do, or all the things I was currently doing that the Bible would tell me not to and lead me into guilt and into shame. And so all of the commands of Jesus, I really felt like the less I know about the commands of Jesus, it seems like it's better for me because if I know the commands, I'm gonna wanna do what Jesus withholds from me. And if I'm actually starting to do those things, I'm now gonna feel guilt and shame I don't wanna feel. So it's easier not to step forward in the commands of Jesus. We've said often from stage here, commands in your Bible are always a calling into something better. 
They're always a calling into something better. They're, they aren't examples of why God hates fun. They aren't opportunities for us to prove to God how much we love him by the full, fun, exciting life we're willing to sacrifice. 100% of the time, commands in the Bible are God waving us into the satisfaction of our souls. Something we've continued to say is the creator of our souls is leading us to the delight of our souls. And he's gonna put all kinds of parameters and boundaries for us so that we can walk into the full flourishing life that Jesus has for us. And if you don't believe that, then Christianity for you is gonna be really frustrating, annoying, unattractive, and limiting. And that was me for most of my life. This morning in Matthew 7, Jesus is gonna give us another command that's tough, and it frankly seems more fun to ignore. But the creator of our souls will again pull us towards the delight of our souls in Matthew 7. I'm gonna read verse one and two for us, and, and we'll work our way down through Matthew 7, verse one. It says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Verse two, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus has never been the type of guy that likes to beat around the bush. He is a guy who understands who's sitting in front of him. He is a guy who understands the people that will have access to this teaching, and he says straight away, there, there's no introduction that leads him. He doesn't have to worry about transitions. He simply says, do not judge people. Straight away, do not judge people. Now, there could be a lot of confusion into what it means to judge. For us, if I said judge in many different contexts, it could mean a lot of different things. Some are good, some are bad. There are two main definitions of judging. Jesus specifically means one, and he specifically doesn't mean the other. Here are the two definitions. The first one is an evaluation and a critique. This is Jesus saying, okay, if you were to judge people, he could mean evaluation and critique of people, or the second definition is criticize and condemn. We're gonna talk about the first one, evaluation and critique, because I wanna first start off by talking about what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying that you're not supposed to evaluate or even critique people around you out of a desire for the people to be waved forward into what is better. One of these definitions calls people to life. The other one steals and tears down. Jesus is ushering us forward in evaluation and critique and withholding from us criticism and condemnation. Here's how other parts of your Bible talk about this. For instance, Jesus in evaluation and a critique he does this constantly, and there's other parts of your Bible that would not withhold that from us. They would actually call us into it. Here's one. Galatians 6, verse 1. It says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Like, you have to be close enough to people in a following of Jesus community, you actually have to be close enough to people to know if they're sinning or not. Galatians says, if you find somebody in a sinful place, humbly you are to enter into that situation to help and walk with them, stumble with them forward to where they're out of that sin and walking and flourishing life. Here's what Hebrews 3.13 says. It says, but encourage one another daily 
as long as, is, as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is not only when you see somebody that is doing what is maybe sinful or unhealthy, but before that even happens, you ought to have relationship with people in a way where you together could pull each other away from the things that lead to death and destruction and towards the things that lead to life and flourishing. Wrong way that I've heard people use this text is like, you aren't allowed to look at my life. You aren't allowed to evaluate me. And if you tell me what I'm doing is wrong, the Bible says not to judge. This is not what Jesus is saying. Like we don't have an ability when somebody comes up to us and has a loving controversial conversation to say, hey, the Bible says not to judge. And what I mean by that is you're not allowed to evaluate me. You're not allowed to critique the way that I'm living my life. Jesus is not withholding us from that. In fact, he does that constantly in this part and other parts of your Bible will continue to wave us forward into that. It's called community. This is a term given to describe what a healthy follower of Jesus has. This is a group of people around them who care about them, who love them, who want full abundant life for them. This is community. So a healthy follower of Jesus certainly doesn't live in isolation, but lives in relationship close enough where the people around them would know what's going on in their life, would know the struggles that they have, and maybe even have been invited in to evaluate, to critique, and to call to something better. If we truly believe that becoming like Jesus is better for us, we have five values as a church. The gospel, becoming, neighboring, the next generation, and multiplication. Here's what we say about becoming. We say we believe that the pathway to a flourishing life is becoming more like Jesus. In other words, the more I can become like Jesus, the more I'm led into delight and satisfaction of my soul that actually a result of becoming more like Jesus is everything my soul desires. We believe this is the pathway to a flourishing life, so we value the process of spiritual development. In other words, there are things we can do to become more like Jesus, and we believe that's the ushering into something better. That's not withholding, that's not limiting, that's not unattractive. When Jesus says, hey, do this, don't do that, that should be met with a high five and a hug, maybe even a gift card to say thank you for loving me in a way that ushers me into something better and a necessary piece of becoming, not a suggestion biblically, not it would be really good if you had this, a necessary component and variable to people becoming more like Jesus is community. Constantly your Bible will try and turn you away from isolation, away from you being the only one who sees what's actually going on. I've heard somebody say, you're always as sick as your secrets. You're as sick as your secrets. And if we in a community could have no secrets, we could have actually relationship with people that we love and we trust that are for us, that are for our marriages, that are for us as parents, if we have people close enough, they could actually help us become more like Jesus and step into a flourishing life, maybe even in a way we can't see yet. 
The reason blind spots are called blind spots is because you can't see them. And community is a necessary part of the spiritual development of followers of Jesus to become who they've been created to become, to step into a flourishing life. Evaluation and critique is not at all what Jesus is holding us from. We are actually pushed towards that in loving relationship. But if we're honest, having these types of conversations, it can be like scary, awkward, overwhelming. It, it, it causes us to want to escape hard conversations. But we want to be marked as a church here by a, by a community, by a family of people that actually love each other enough to step into, at times, awkward and uncomfortable loving spaces so that we together can stumble our way forward. Now, I, I've been taught something that, that from the very beginning felt super helpful to me when I thought about having these types of conversations. Like, if you're married, you know that there are times where you can see something in your spouse that you, you want something better for them. Like, like the, the easiest example that comes to mind is insecurity. I, I have a wife of seven years, and if I thought Shaylin had a lot of insecurity in her life, I would want to love her enough to enter into a conversation with her so that she is not longer bounded by insecurity. Like, like I would want freedom for her. I would want her to be confident and comfortable with who God has made her to be, but I'm not going to ever get there if I don't step into sometimes hard and uncomfortable spaces. What's true about the healthiest churches in the healthiest communities is they're not going to allow their feelings to abort what they've been called to. Here's a, here's a quote that I heard that I thought was super helpful. It's so many different layers of my journey to become like Jesus. This is what a pastor said. I refuse to allow how I feel abort what I've been called to. Like, I understand my feelings at times are going to betray me. My feelings at times are gonna limit who God has called me to be. And I wanna be the type of person that's willing to say no to the fear in front of me, no to the, the, the shame and awkwardness of stepping into a weird conversation. I wanna say no to that because God has called me to something better. And he's called the people around me to something better. I wanna talk about a pretty easy way to have this type of conversation. I was taught it years ago, it felt super helpful to me. In fact, even this week, I had this type of conversation with somebody that was super helpful. We, we call it OIC. All OIC stands for three different things. The first thing is observation. Now, let me remind you while I'm doing this to, to summarize. Um, having conversations where we step into maybe messy spaces to walk with somebody forward so we can continue to stumble to, to be more like Jesus together can be a very difficult thing to do to have this level of conversation. But if you haven't had a hard conversation to call somebody forward into becoming more like Jesus, it's probably not because you don't know of the conversation to be had, but likely because you've said no to having the conversation for a myriad of reasons. Let me suggest a way we can have these conversations. First, O is observation. This is a non-negotiable fact that you have observed. This is like a, hey, I noticed this, 
hey, we're not even arguing, it's no assumption. It seems like this is true. I noticed you responded this way. I noticed that you have said this. This is simply an observation. This should not be difficult for us. This week, I had a conversation like this. I, I said to this guy, um, th this is a non-negotiable fact. I said, every time I've heard somebody ask you how you're doing, when you answer that honestly, your answer is tired. Like that, work, that word kept coming up. So it's like I've heard different people ask you at different points in the last like month. If you're being honest, every time you're unfiltered, your answer is tired. That's an observation. That could mean a ton of different things. But it is an observation nonetheless. That's O, we move to I, which is interpretation. I observe this. It, the interpretation of that could mean a ton of different things. It could mean every time I'm around you and somebody asks you how you're doing, you could have had a terrible night's sleep the night before. I could have been around you when you had super busy days. I mean, th there are tons of different reasons that you could answer the question tired. It could be because your work and rest balance are really off. That's also a possibility. And then we move to see clarification. Help me understand what's going on. This is at no point accusation. This is not a let me sit on my high horse and call you into what you should be doing better as somebody who sees myself as better. That, that's not it at all. It's saying, hey, I've observed some things. It could mean a ton of different things. I could be seeing this incorrectly. It could even mean really good things. It could mean bad things. Help me understand. Let's go to clarification. Oh, I see. Observation, interpretation, clarification, and then we can have honest conversations about what's going on. This may be helpful for you because it's not an accusation at any level. It's a humble approach that acknowledges, I don't have all the answers. I see only in part, and I understand I only see in part. Understand there could be a problem, and I understand there could not be a problem, but I want to be out of love and graciousness and somebody who desires what is good for you, I do wanna have a conversation because if it's something wrong, I wanna stumble forward with you so that we can both step into a flourishing life. This is evaluation and critique, not something Jesus is withholding. We don't have an ability to say to other people, hey, the Bible says don't judge. You're not supposed to look at my life and have anything negative to say because that's judgy and you're not supposed to. It also takes off the table some excuses we give ourselves to sneak out of these types of conversations like, I don't know their heart. It could not be a big deal at all. It could just be a bad day. All of those things are totally true and those things can be brought to the table. Hey, I understand this could mean a lot of different things. Can you bring clarification to what I'm seeing? Because maybe this is something we could enter into together and go forward to become more like Jesus. OIC, observation, interpretation, and clarification. Evaluation and critique brings flourishing life to people when done for the good in the best interest of others. Now, there, there's a song that came out in 2013. I checked this week. It has over 650 million streams on Spotify alone. Here's one of the lines of this song that, that caught me. It's a, it's a banger. It vibes pretty good. Here's what it says. 
One of the main lines, remember only God can judge us, forget the haters, because somebody loves you. That's the line. It comes from a standpoint of I'm allowed to do whatever I want, and if you evaluate and critique any part of my life, you now fit into a haters category. But remember, only God can judge me. And I've always been struck with that because I've heard that several times. I actually played basketball with a guy for, for most of my career that had an only God can judge me tattoo. And I always felt like, I, I don't think that should like settle us and bring comfort to us. That there is a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God who knows all of not only my secrets, but my thoughts, my motivations, everything about me. He has all power and authority and rights to judge my life. I don't wanna stand before that judge saying, hey, you can't judge me as a human being socially because only God can judge me. That, that's not a comforting statement, those outside of the grace of Jesus. I don't think we should be flippant about the judgment of God, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you can now stand in perfect righteousness in Jesus. That's an enormous blessing for those who follow Jesus. But it, for you to say, you can't judge me, you can't evaluate, you cannot critique, you cannot observe and have a conversation with me, and if you do, you're not supposed to judge and you can fit into a haters category is a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying. He's not withholding these conversations. In fact, he's actually set up the family of God to have necessary conversations that help people move forward because we can't live in isolation and yet become like Jesus in the end. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to understand what Jesus is saying, but he is trying to drag something out back and kill it, and let, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. This is the critical judgment of condemnation. Evaluation and critique, it seeks to uplift people. Criticizing and condemning seeks to tear down people. Jesus continues in verse three. So if you still have your Bible out, you can, you can look at that. Here's what he continues to say in verse three. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all of the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, to criticize and condemn, according to Jesus, is evidence that we've really lost track of self-awareness spiritually. To criticize and condemn means we've, we've now really eliminated any type of self-awareness spiritually. We've drifted, drifted from a humble place to a misplaced, arrogant place. Problem is the loss of self-awareness could actually cause us to see sin and unhealth in other people as more significant than sin and unhealth in us. Here are some markers that your judgment is in the like drag it out back and shoot it in the face category. When we find ourselves critical towards people who are doing what we don't understand. 
when we find ourselves critical towards people who have different sin struggles than us, or maybe even the same sin struggle as us, but it manifests itself a little bit differently. Like, like we're way out of self-awareness and way so impressed with ourselves when we can look at other people who are sinning differently and think that is more significant than the sin in my life. What Jesus is saying is that's the hip, hypocritical spirit he wants no part of. For me to say, yeah, yeah, I understand I'm broken. I understand I have things wrong with me, but not like that. Or I, yeah, I know I, I do these things, but they do this. And I just don't understand how somebody could do that. So critical condemnation. Seeks to tear down, and this is what Jesus seeks to rid from the life of his church. You're in a healthy place when the brokenness in your own life is what causes your greatest amounts of disappointment, frustration, and discontentment. You're in the healthy place when you can point to yourself as the greatest rule breaker. You're in a healthy place when you are continuing to be discontent and disappointed and frustrated with the ways you are stumbling forward. If what comes to mind is all the faults of everybody around you, you fit the category of judgmental that Jesus is trying to rid from the church. Where I wanna have conversations with people, not to uplift them and together call them into something better alongside of me, I wanna have a conversation because I'm frustrated and I want them to stop doing what they're doing. This is a teardown. Critical, condemning. Jesus wants it gone. No room for it. You've lost self-awareness spiritually. You're stepping in all kinds of arrogance. You've, you've, you're far from humility. You're far from seeing your sin for what it is when you have all kinds of evidence of everybody else's sin but feel not much conviction over your own life. That is what is unhealthy. I've heard in some good leadership material that if you want somebody to go from point A to point B, this is spiritually speaking or not spiritually speaking, if you want somebody who's at point A and you wanna bring them to point B, one of the worst ways to do that is stand at point B and yell to them to get to where you are. One of the best things a leader can do is if they're at point B and they find somebody at point A is to go to point A and stumble with them to point B, not just stand there and yell at them about where they should be, but enter in and stumble forward with them. This is the difference Jesus speaks of. When we, this week, no doubt see what may be unhealthy or sinful or broken in somebody else, we have a couple options. We could ignore it, which is the easiest thing to do, we could actually enter into it in an arrogant way. We could throw stones from the couch like that marzipan is way too thick. Who are you? Or we could step into it as a fellow struggler, have an honest conversation that's totally covered in humility and grace and enter to step in so that we together can become more like Jesus alongside of each other. Couple options. Jesus calls us towards one and he wants to kill the other. I think what's true about me, and I think what is likely true about you is that judgmentalism is very, very significant in us at this point in our world. 
Like we always have something to be upset about. We always have something to throw stones at. And so it's very easy to sit on our couches, to scroll on our phones and throw stones. I feel like what Jesus wants for us is not to sit back and to throw stones, but if we have an opportunity to step into a space and to walk with somebody into more abundant life found in becoming like Jesus, then what are we doing? What does it say about our relationship with somebody that we have an opportunity to call them into abundant life, yet I'm unwilling to set my preferences aside, I'm unwilling to step into what may be an awkward conversation I'm unwilling to do any of that because I don't actually love you enough to pull you into abundant life with me. This is why these OIC conversations should be met with a thank you. Thank you. Maybe even a high five and a hug. This is what we wanna be marked by as a church. We could have relationships that are close enough where the, the places that you're struggling, the places that you're stumbling, I am right there with you. As a fellow struggler, as a fellow stumbler, I wanna enter in with you because both of us need each other. If we wanna become more like Jesus at the end of this week, we need each other. We need, I, I need your eyes on my marriage. I need your eyes on my reactions. I need your eyes on my disciplines. I need community to become like Jesus. And if you see something in me that's unhealthy, if you see something in me that is wrong, please love me enough to enter in and have a conversation. Please enter in. Love me enough to set your preferences aside and call me to what is better. Valuation and critique versus critical and condemning. Now, my, my hope for this morning is, is two main things. First is that this church would be marked by evaluation and critique. This church would be marked by a, a love for each other enough where we would be willing to have hard conversations. Not, not hard conversations because of how we have them, but hard conversations because it, it can be awkward. But if we could actually step into this space and have conversations with each other, we would all start becoming more like Jesus in a way that, that's absolutely necessary for us to become like him. We need these conversations. So my hope first is that we wouldn't be afraid of Matthew chapter seven when Jesus says, do not judge. We wouldn't be afraid about having conversations because certainly it's not Jesus's point that you have to be perfect for you to have conversation with anybody else. But his point is, you, you may have to wait. You may have to wait to have a conversation until you are most convicted about your own life, you're most convicted about your own sin, and you have what is best and flourishing life and abundant for the person you wanna have a conversation. And then when you do, you can enter in as a fellow stumbler and walk yourself forward. I would love us to be marked by this as a church. And, and the second thing is, I hope this church would be the safest place for you to talk about your brokenness. That you would not find this place to be easily offended by questions and concerns in your journey, that you would not find this place on the edge of our seats ready to gasp at the most broken places in your life 
All you have in this room is people who are broken and have things that they can feel guilt and shame over. I hope this is the safest hour of your week to be exactly who you are. That you don't feel like church is, is, is for the upright who come in here all prep and proper. But church is for people who understand their brokenness and they're coming to the feet of Jesus, which is level ground saying, I need a good savior because I've not gotten there myself. I have not met a standard of perfection, which means I need a perfect savior. I hope this is the safest hour of your week to come in broken because Jesus says in his own words, he's not here for the healthy. Jesus actually came for the sick. Should feel more like a hospital than anything else where there's broken people coming to the feet of Jesus saying, man, we need your word. We need your people because I want to step into abundant life and I need the necessary weapons to do that, which is community. I need the eyes on my life. I need the eyes on my marriage. I need the eyes on my work. If I truly want to be like Jesus, uncovered, raw, exactly as I am, I want to be a man of integrity, I wanna be a man of discipline, and I'm gonna need your help. This is what Jesus ushers us towards, understanding there are dangers there. The dangers are we are broken enough people to be able to sit on our couches and throw stones at things we don't understand. Throw stones at ways people do things differently. Throw stones at the different ways people sin. Throw stones at the different manifestations of what is unhealthy. You've gotta kill that. At the same time, can we step forward into having loving conversations? Can we love this church and love the people of this church enough to step forward into some difficult spaces and have hard conversations? No, no judgment here. We want you to experience the grace that Jesus has for the places that you feel shame, and we want you to step into flourishing life found in becoming like him. That's like cards on the table, what we want for you. Let me pray that, that God would make that true. Father, we love you and we understand that outside of your grace and outside of your power and outside of your goodness, all we have to bring to the table is brokenness and all we have to bring to the table is mistakes and things that we don't wanna talk about, things we wanna cover up. God, I ask that you would first lead me to a place where I am most discontent with my own sin, most discontent with the ways that I fall short. That I always have a list of things to, to be talking with you about, to be working on, that that be the forefront of my mind, but would you give me humility in a way to the people around me, the people that I love, to be willing to have conversations, to be willing to come with people alongside of them and stumble forward? Would you make that true of our church? Would we, would we be marked by it? Would Saul Company be marked by it? A desire to be like Jesus, so much so that we're willing to invite people into our lives, to invite the eyes, willing to have conversations with each other, to call into abundant life. Would you make that true? It's in Jesus' name we pray.